1: their community and make a real impact on blood cancer patients and their families. You can learn more about Student Visionaries of the Year or even nominate a student at lls.org slash students. That's lls.org slash students. Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to build happier habits into your daily life. This week, we'll talk about why you should enjoy your home's special features and talk to writer and entrepreneur Ariana Huffington about many things, including the importance of the habit of sleep. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft, who has a birthday coming up.
0: That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And yes, scratch, it's almost my birthday. Yeah, well,
1: I sent it a little early because I couldn't resist. Did you get the obliger mug that I sent you?
0: I did. I love it. And of course, I'm drinking out of it right now. Oh, good. (laughs) You know, I'm a mug addict. As soon as I get a new mug, I have to break it in. Um, so thank you. Yes. It's our, one of our, we have new mugs that have, um, you can choose any of the four tendencies and the motto is on them. Um, and those are, I think available on your website. Yeah.
1: Yeah. If you go to gretchenrubin.com, um, and the, in the top nav bar, you see shop. And if you go there, it has the four mugs each for one of the tendencies. And I have to say, I love the mottos for the tendencies. So, so tell listeners what the obliger motto is.
0: My motto is, you can count on me and I'm counting on you to count on me. I love it. And I've got it on my mug reminding <laughs> me.
1: <laughs> so if you want a mug to proudly display your tendency or as a gift for someone uh, someone uh, who wants to highlight their own tendency, go to GretchenRubin.com and go to the shop button on the top navigation bar. It was so fun to put those together. Um, And now, Elizabeth, our Try This at Home tip this week is to enjoy your home's features.
0: Yeah, I love this. It's like the idea that you buy a house or choose an apartment or whatever it may be because you like certain features. And then, you know, for instance, I think a classic is a back deck. Yes. And then you never use it. Right. Right.
1: No. And I, I thought about this a lot when I was working on Happier at Home, because it's all about it's all about how to be happier at home. And one of the things that's that's funny is that a lot of times, yeah, you're drawn to these things or you think, oh, you have this sort of fantasy of like, oh, it's going to be amazing. Look, this stove has a special grill on it and I'm going to use it and mm-hmm. make pancakes for my family every Sunday morning or whatever. But then you never do. And so it's sort of something that attracts you. But then you don't take that extra step to uh,
0: take advantage of it. Yeah, I mean it's funny because Adam and I, you know, we're doing a lot of work on our house right now. I've mentioned it several times yeah. on the podcast. And just the other night we were at dinner and I we going to ha- I said to him, "How do you feel about embracing the idea of grilling?" Because we're going to redo our backyard, we're going to have all new furniture out there, we're going to like resurface the pool. You know, it's it's going to be much more of a usable space, but we don't even have you know, a grill, which is what he said. He he said, Well, we don't have a grill. And I'm like, Well, we could get one and you could start grilling, you know, hot dogs and hamburgers. Um because I feel like if we were doing that we'd then use the outdoor space more.
1: Yeah. Because you have to have it like it has to work for you in some way. Um, there has to be something that draws you in it. I remember when we were like planning our apartment, somebody said like make sure that every room has something different about why you would use that room. You know, mm. um, like if every room is exactly like every other room, then it's not as, it's not as interesting, and you don't feel like you're using your home as much. There's this fascinating term too that, uh, that I think of in this book called, by Daniel McGinn called House Lust. There's this phrase that uh, market researchers use, which is the maximum use imperative, which is that when people are making a decision, they often buy uh, something to accommodate a use that they only rarely need. So for instance, you know, you're like looking at a house and apartment and you think, "Oh, well, I need a big dining room because my whole family might come for Christmas." Mm-hmm. And so you get so you feel like, "Oh, this is a really important priority," but your family only comes for Christmas like once every 3 years and usually you're like eating at a little table that's in your kitchen. And so why was this a big thing in your mind when you were picking a house? I thought that was a really that was like be careful what features you're attracted to. Yeah. Well,
0: I almost fell for that. We had, uh, before we started working on our house, we talked to different people about what we might do. And one guy who we didn't end up going with, suggested that we do all this work to reorient our bedroom Mm. so that it faced out toward the pool, Mm -hmm. uh, where we, you know, toward these sliding glass doors. And he was showing us this sketch um, and it sounded nice looking out at the pool. But I said, well, then where would the TV go? Mm -hmm. And he looked at me and he was like, well, in this scenario, you wouldn't have a TV. (laughs) And Adam and I were just like, well, that's not going to work for us. So right. Right. Sounds nice. Sounds like our fantasy, fantasy selves would love that. Yes. But I need a TV in the bedroom. No,
1: I mean, because that's the thing people are like, oh, maybe it'd be better if we were the kind of people who didn't have TV in the bedroom. But you're like, you know what? We are the kind of people of TV in the bedroom. And uh, I know. Well, we had that kind of fantasy self, too, I think. Um, And maybe you ran into this with your fireplace because I think you converted your fireplace we had these fireplace we had a fireplace and it was a wood-burning fireplace which is in, in new york now I, now i think it's i don't i don't know if you can anymore build an apartment with a fire-burning fireplace but anyway ours is old so anyway it was and i love the idea and again when we were buying our apartment i had oh my gosh it's gonna be amazing we're gonna make these fires when you and i were growing up our dad makes he makes fires all the time and it was really this wonderful thing and yes. a lot of positive associations I thought this is gonna be great but like many things in New York City, it just it's a lot harder. It's like having a Christmas tree. It's a lot harder when right. you have an apartment than if you're in a house. And it's not that easy in a house either to deal with all of it. But a wood-burning fireplace seems so much nicer than a gas fireplace. But we were doing some work, and I thought, we have never once had a fire in this fireplace. Not once since we had moved into our apartment. We'd been there many years. I'm like, let go of the fantasy of like the perfect use of it and... We converted it to gas. And now you like it does seem kind of weird to just flick a switch and your fireplace Mm -hmm. goes on. It just seems unnatural, definitely less romantic, but we turn it on and, and have the benefit of the fire. And now this feature, which I was really drawn to when we were thinking about buying the apartment, we're actually making use of many years later. And so that's very satisfying.
0: By the way, Gretchen, I have to say on the grilling front that Adam's suggestion was that I take up grilling. So... He passed that potato right back to me. Well, I I mean, fair enough. (laughs) Yeah. So um, if you if you
1: love the idea of grilling, uh, like you know, I will buy you the the like the tongs and uh, and wish you well.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Now there's one where I definitely would not go charcoal. I you know I would go uh, gas all the way on that.
1: Um, Well, I'm curious to hear if other people have this issue with like. Being drawn to a special feature in a and like when you're when you're thinking about buying a place or renting a place, and then do you make use of it? Um, do people do a good job of making use of the deck or the grill or the fireplace or whatever it might be? Um, I would just be curious to hear other people's experience with this because you and I both have have really uh, grappled with it.
0: Absolutely, and it's especially in California, I think, where you have the ability to have sort of outdoor space be just as useful as indoor space there's just no excuse for not using it yeah So let us know if you tried this
1: uh, and whether you enjoy your home special features or whether you could amp it up, uh, Twitter, Facebook, email us at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Or as always, you know, go to the, uh, on my blog, I have, I always have a post that's related to each episode and there I put images and links and any kind of information that you might need. Um, So you can always go to HappierCast.com slash 65, this is episode 65, and you'll get all the contact information and everything else you might want there.
0: Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.
1: Now, we're so excited today to be talking to Ariana Huffington. Ariana is an extraordinary person. Uh, among other things, she's the founder and editor-in-chief of the hugely successful site, The Huffington Post. Uh, she's also written best-selling books like uh, Thrive, the third metric to redefining success and creating a life of well-being, wisdom, and wonder. Um, and I've gotten to know her because we sometimes speak at the same places, and I'm certainly interested in the things that she's interested in. And I'm passionately interested in the subject of her latest book, um, the very successful uh, the Sleep Revolution, Transforming Your Life One Night at a Time.
0: This is a subject, Gretchen, I know you are insanely <laughs> passionate about. Yeah. So, Ariana, thank you so much for being here.
2: Yes, Ariana, thank you. Thank you. It's great to be with
0: you.
1: Now, Ariana, we're going to talk about your, your fabulous book, The Sleep Revolution. But first, in Better Than Before, I talk a lot about the strategy of the lightning bolt, which is when someone's habits change kind of effortlessly and overnight because they've had some kind of realization or some kind of epiphany or, or some information has come to them. And you have an extremely dramatic story of the lightning bolt that hit you, um, that got you kind of launched in this path. So tell that story about that lightning bolt and what it led
2: to. So my lightning bolt moment happened um, nine years ago when I collapsed from sleep deprivation, (laughs) burnout, exhaustion, and hit my head on my way down, broke my cheekbone. And um, that was the beginning of really uh, completely rethinking the way I lived. And in the process, also looking around and seeing I was not alone, (laughs) that millions of others were suffering from burnout.
0: And ultimately, that led you to write this book, which essentially is about how we all need sleep, which Gretchen has been advocating also for years. I would love to hear how you went about making yourself sleep.
2: (laughs) So the first thing, the most important thing, um, was to convince myself (laughs) um, of the importance Mm. of sleep, because um, changing our habits... Um, has to follow changing our minds about the importance of sleep and that's why I've structured the book in that way so it starts with a crisis so we know how heavy is the and high is the price we are paying in terms of our health productivity joy and the second is science you know there's now a universal scientific consensus that uh, sleep deprivation uh, affects negatively every aspect of our lives And um, the third is history, because, you know, I I wondered how come we came to believe something so absolutely false, that is, that um, sleep is optional, and Mm -hmm. if we are busy and important and have a lot of things to do, then we just sacrifice sleep. And, And the answer is it dates back to the first industrial revolution when we started treating human beings like machines, and we wanted to minimize downtime. And the fourth is also the mystery of sleep. I know a lot of people um, maybe will listen and get more sleep because they know that it's going to improve their productivity and their performance. But I also feel it's great when we rekindle the romance with sleep and recognize that it's also a gateway to the mystery of life. Mm -hmm. And um, once we actually get all the information and all the data and all the history about sleep's importance, then the second part of the book is all about how do we change our habits? How do we um, introduce certain tips, techniques, practices into our lives that will make make it easier for us to get all the sleep we need? And,
1: and when you talk to people, I think a lot of people sort of get that they need more sleep, but they're just, is there, are there strategies or, or, uh, or kind of facts that you feel like are the most often persuasive or helpful to people? Like, I I know you talk about a lot of different things about from, from how much lights in your room, to the temperature of your bedroom, to how you view sleep. Are, Are there some things that seem to resonate most deeply with people when they're trying to tackle this?
2: Yes, absolutely, and and Gretchen, you're right that m- most people say, yeah, yeah, I need I need more sleep, but <laughs> mm-hmm. that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about really yes. profoundly yes. Yes. realizing that sleep is not negotiable, and that's why I've even included fifty pages of source notes. You may not want to read them all, but uh, mm-hmm. it's there for those of us who are data driven um, to recognize. Um, how young the science of sleep is and how conclusive. So one of the scientific findings that really affected me um, was a study that shows that contrary to what we used to believe, um, the brain is frenetically active during sleep. Mm. We used to think that it was like putting your car in the the garage and turning (laughs) the ignition off. (laughs) And now... We actually know that this is the time when the brain cleans up all the toxins that accumulated during the day. And if that cleaning up process doesn't happen, terrible things follow. Yeah. And these toxins accumulate um, between the cells of the brain. They degrade our whole um, ability to remember, to consolidate uh, uh, memories, and ultimately may lead to Alzheimer's. So, I don't know, I found that a a pretty conclusive study. And also, the fact that the brain has these two um, modes, either alert and awake or asleep and cleaning up, again, shows that sleep is an evolutionary necessity and not the way we've been treating it, like something uh, that we can dispense with if we have really a lot to do. Yeah. And Ariana, how do you feel about Ambien and
0: sleep aids like that? Do you think it, if you have trouble sleeping, that it's worth it, or, or, or does that negatively affect sleep?
2: Well, it's not the same kind of sleep. And if you read the the, um, the section on Ambien and other sleeping pills, you see that even though they may be acceptable if you have a traumatic experience in your life and and you need a shortcut, there are so many natural alternatives that. Um, we can experiment with and see what works for us from um, the transition to sleep, which is key at the moment. Mm. We, that's what we've eliminated in modern life. And, um, you know, you are a mom. Um, Elizabeth, I don't know if you have children. Yes. Yes. So, you know, Elizabeth is a mom. I am a mom. So we know that we don't just drop our children in bed. <laughs> we, right. you know, yeah. we, we have a ritual. Yeah. We give them a bath, we put them in their bridges, we sing them a lullaby. Well, we need a ritual for ourselves. And, um, I have a lot of ingredients to create your own ritual from. Mine involves turning off all devices 30 minutes before I'm going to go to sleep and gently escorting them out of my bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) It involves um, a a hot bath with Epsom salts and flickering candle, which is part of the rekindling the romance of sleep, but it's also like washing the day awaits. If you don't like baths, have a shower. There's something about water. Uh, um mm. kind of sending the message to our brains and our bodies, the day is done. With all its incompletions, its problems, it's done. This is the time to recharge, to um, sleep. You remember with our children, we. this is the time for them to... To inhabit different worlds, you know, a lot of the stories we read them are stories of imagination. Uh, that's why the books that I read in bed are, first of all, physical books, and second, mm. books that have nothing to do with work, you know, poetry, mm. novels, right. uh, philosophy, etc.,
1: well, one of the things I, I got a big kick out of it in the book was when you talk about naps and our father is just the biggest napper of all time. And I really and, and and reading this made me realize, like, I've got to try to imitate his nap policy because there's it's, it's so valuable. But I loved how you said that not only does The Huffington Post have nap rooms, which have become incredibly popular, but you, you, instead of closing your curtains, when you took a nap in your office, you left your curtains open to show people (laughs) like embrace the nap. There's no, there's nothing to hide from. Like you, you, we're going to openly show that we're taking naps because this is really important for our productivity. So, and so, and, and your employees are responding. They like, they like this nap policy.
2: Oh, absolutely. We just basically had to eliminate any stigma associated yes. with napping because ah. so often it's like, oh, you, you're you lazy or you don't have an, enough of important things to do. And now, again, all the science conclusively um, makes it clear that uh, it's like a, a reset of the day. Now, if we've gotten enough sleep the night before, we are unlikely to need a nap. But things happen even with the best intentions. You may have a sick child. You 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 may have a delayed flight. Whatever it is, if you have not gotten enough sleep the night before, try and get a nap as soon as possible. Even a twenty minute nap is amazingly restorative.
0: And do you think the Huffington Post is a more productive place since you've instituted this sleep policy?
2: Well, I feel without a doubt that it's a less stressful place. Again. Um, A workplace can establish certain ground rules, as we have with the NAPs, with our policy that makes it clear that people don't have to be on um, their devices after they leave work. We always Mm. say if there's something urgent that we need to reach you for, we'll call you. Um, But also, our relationship with our devices goes beyond work. You know, even if there are no expectations from our workplace, so often we are addicted to our devices and um, it's hard for us to disconnect from them, to turn off, um, to turn them off, and reconnect with ourselves. So that that's a very much a, a personal decision, and it requires kind of setting personal boundaries.
1: Absolutely, because for a lot of people, it's not that they're up at midnight, you know, emailing work or, you know, doing brain surgery. It's that they're like (laughs) rewatching an old episode of The Sopranos or something. i or checking
2: their Instagram for the 11th time. Yeah,
1: and and you think, you just have to say, my time is really better off spent sleeping. That's what's going to be the most restorative to me.
2: Yes, and also, and that's really what for me became the magnet that made me uh, move beyond the discipline of a new routine to Actually, absolutely wanting to follow the new routine. And the magnet for me is how I feel the next day. Yes. I actually positively dislike myself now when I'm sleep deprived. I don't like the person I become, (laughs) you know, uh, reactive, moody, uh, taking all the um, negative things that happen in our days um, more personally I don't like any of that. And it's so easy not to be that kind of person. All I have to do is get eight hours sleep. So it's not like brain surgery. Right. That's the other thing, that it's free and available to all of us. And wherever you are in life, whether you are struggling to put food on the table or whether you are at the top of the world juggling multiple demands on your time, we can determine how we show up every morning.
1: Well, and I think one of the most interesting research is that people adjust to being sleep-deprived and they think they're fine, but then the research shows, no, they're not fine. They're actually way off their game and they don't realize it. And so they don't realize how negatively they're being influenced by the lack of sleep.
2: That is such a good point because that happened to me. If you had asked me the morning I collapsed, how are you, Ariana? I would have said fine because Mm -hmm. being perpetually tired had become the new normal. Right. And... um, if you think of it, we are much we we know much more about our smartphones than ourselves. You know, we know how much <laughs> battery <body laughs> remains in our smartphone. Um, and we need to develop the same awareness about ourselves. For me now the barometer of how joyful I am in my life mm. is is immediate. You know, I can say I can say, hey what's happening? Um, and and that becomes kind of the easiest way to recognize I must course correct.
0: And when you look back, Ariana, in those two years where you were working the 18-hour days and everything that led to the collapse, like, do you think that HuffPost would have gotten to where it is without those 18-hour days? Or do you sort of feel like, well, that was a time of, like, I had to sacrifice that and now I can course correct?
2: No, absolutely not. In fact, that's precisely the delusion we need to to counter. Um, It My collapse happened two years into building the Huffington Post. We are now 11 years old. The most important, best things that happened to us happened after. All those things, um, I think, happened much more easily because uh, I was much more connected with where the world was going, with the changes that had to happen. And unquestionably, I have been a better leader because I have taken care of myself. I love the piece that just came out by McKinsey. It was extracted in the Harvard Business Review, too late to include in the book, but part of the tipping point. Uh, McKinsey, which after all is seen as the boiler room of burnout, (laughs) uh, put out this study based on pure science and the headline tells you all. The headline is The Proven Link Between Effective Leadership and Sleep. Mm-hmm. And, and it actually takes us through what happens to the prefrontal cortex, where executive functioning um, originates from, when we are sleep deprived and how degraded it is. So um, we have all the evidence now. We just need to get away from the delusion. And I had a very moving um, letter recently from Senator Harry Reid, and he allowed me to to talk about it uh, publicly, but he said that when he was younger, he had um, heard and read what Thomas Edison um, believed, which I include in the book, which is that that um, sleep is a, is a delusion, it's an absurdity, he called it, and it should be eliminated. And he said, so he decided that since a great man like Thomas Edison believed that he, Harry Reid, too, (laughs) would would deprive himself of sleep. And then he read the book and he saw the history and he saw how that is one of the problems with how we came to be where we are, that a lot of cultural icons, a lot of people who did amazing things in other areas of life were completely deluded about the importance of sleep. And so we... Um, many people followed their example and and their rhetoric. And now he said he's changed his habits and he uh, (laughs) is encouraging his staff to change their habits. So I feel we are at this amazing transition period where a lot of different behaviors are coexisting, but the shift is clearly in the new direction of valuing and prioritizing sleep. It's also, if you think of it, Um, We've convinced people, whether they do it or not, of the importance of nutrition and exercise, but the third leg of the stool is sleep.
1: Yes. Yes. Now, Ariana, we have, a, we have a segment that we do every week called Try This at Home, where we suggest kind of a concrete, specific thing that people can try at home that's going to make them happier, healthier, more productive, more creative. And I'm kind of thinking that I might have an inkling of the sort of thing that you <laughs> might propose as a try this at home. But if you were going to suggest something that, that listeners should try at home that's going to make them happier, uh, what would you suggest?
2: So please try it. Try it even for one night. (laughs) And 30 minutes before you go to bed, turn off your devices, charge them outside your bedroom, have a hot bath or shower, and make sure that the lights are low in your room while you're having your shower. So when you come back, there's a different mood, a different atmosphere Ah. in your bedroom. Um, Wear clothes to bed that you don't wear to work out. Ah. Whether it's PJs or a nightdress or even a T-shirt, as long as it's dedicated to sleep. Um, Try a cup of chamomile or lavender or licorice tea, something warm and soothing um, that you can have on your nightstand. Read a book, any book. If you read The Sleep Revolution, I will consider it a personal victory if it puts you to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, have a sense of anticipation about your dreams.
0: Uh, um, even
2: if you remember a fragment, it's it's one of the exciting things about uh, going to sleep, and getting enough sleep is that you are more likely to remember your dreams. And it's like um, it's tro- totally a surprise for me every night what what the what the movie is going to be. <laughs>
1: Now, also, we have this four. I, I don't know if you took the quiz to find out your tendency. Yes. Okay. So we have the four tendencies quiz. Um, now, did the quiz say that you were an upholder, a questioner, or an obliger, or a rebel?
2: So I, I, I'm now a questioner, yes. but I definitely was an upholder. Well see, I just
1: in the way that you were talking, I was like, I bet it's ninety nine percent that she's a questioner because you're because you keep talking about like the data. If people would read the data, if they would see the information, they would be
2: persuaded. <laughs> yeah, because I, I believe that, you know, I believe that truth does not lie in the middle. We as journalists very often we we act as though our job is to present, you know, on the one side there are people who think sleep is optional and on the other side are the scientists who believe that That sleep is essential. Well, the truth is not in the middle. The truth is often on one side or the other, whether it's sleep or climate change or smoking. And so, yes, I'm a questioner.
1: Ariana, thank you so much. This has been fascinating. Um, I am going to try napping. I'm going to do. I'm going to get. I'm yes. going to get my flickering candle. Um, I love this. Yeah,
0: dimming the lights. I think that's crucial. Yeah, I never dimming thought of the that. lights.
2: Make it as dark as possible. Uh, lower the temperature. And look, my God, you can make. You can influence so many people who adore you and follow you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Ariana's new book is called The Sleep Revolution. Ariana, thanks so much for joining
2: Thank us. Thank you, Thank Ariana. you so much. Thank you. Bye.
1: Okay, it's time for demerits and gold stars, and Elizabeth, you are up with a demerit.
0: Yes, Gretch. This week, my demerit, um, as usual, is about me sort of uh, not being a great friend. Um, but you're you're such a good friend. Oh well, thank you. I.
1: But maybe that's because you give yourself demerits all the time, and so you're constantly striving to be a better friend.
0: Well, I could do better. Um, for instance, <laughs> you know, I've had two friends recently who had health issues. And thank goodness they're both, um, you know, are on the mend and long term should be totally fine. But I didn't do anything for either of them. And it's not that I expect myself to be this, you know, wonderful Florence Nightingale, because I know myself better than that. But I didn't even, you know, I, I barely emailed. I I didn't really check in. I just sort of so briefly tangentially checked in you know what I mean and I did and I feel like that's just a huge thing to go through and I thought about both of them a lot but I sort of I think part of it is it's hard to know what to do so you do nothing yeah um and because I'm not somebody who's good at like packing up a dinner and dropping it off which I know is always the most useful thing I'm just. I was just sort of frozen, and I didn't even send flowers because, like, I don't necessarily have everyone's address. You know, I just kind of, yeah, dropped the ball.
1: Yeah, and you know, and this thing about knowing what to say. I feel like often I will read articles where it's like these are the things not to say, and then I'm like, ooh, that's some of the things that I might have said, right. But now that's the wrong thing to say, but they rarely say what to say. And so you do kind of, uh, I have that, I know that feeling of sort of sitting there with your fingers poised above the keyboard and just, and and not really knowing exactly what to say. And so then thinking like, well, I'm going to just sleep on it. And maybe in the morning I'll have thought of like how to, you know, what to say, because it can, it can be hard or and, and like maybe it's enough just to say like i'm thinking of you like i'm you know i'm hoping you're feeling as good as you can or to just show that you are that the person is in your thoughts
0: yeah and now it's like the crisis has passed and i uh, that's wonderful but i'm like okay well you know i was no help at all so um and obviously when people are in those situations they're worried about themselves they're not like sitting there tallying yes. what everyone's doing But um, just for my own self, I don't want to be someone who ignores people when they're in a, you know, in a stressful time, I want to be someone who offers comfort or help, or, uh, you know, whatever uh, I can. So uh, I'm giving myself a demerit for that. And, um, you know, Hopefully, next time something like this arises, I will do better because I know if I were in that situation, I would appreciate people reaching out to me. So, I want to, you know, do unto others as I would have done to me. But, Gretchen, what is your gold star this week? Well,
1: I want to give a gold star to something in my life that is just the most gigantic engine of happiness for me, which is my three yes, three children's literature reading groups. I Yes, I am in three groups where all we read is children's literature and young adult literature. Um, it has nothing to do with actual children. There are no children there. Many of the people in the group do not have children. And we almost never discuss what children think of these books. It's all about what do we think of them as adults. And it is just so much fun. Um, each group is different and has its own special energy and I've made so many friends and it gives me an excuse to read, reread excellent children's books that I've read and re-read, and keep up with it because there's amazing new YA and children's literature being written and it just makes me so happy.
0: So what, what's the origin of this?
1: Well, so when, this was part of The Happiness Project, because when I was writing The Happiness Project, I was you know, trying to be Gretchen. Um, that's my first personal commandment. And I realized that one of the things that's true about me, Gretchen, is I have this crazy passion for children's literature. But I always kind of hit it because I felt like it didn't suit. I wanted to present I wanted to think of myself and present myself as this kind of sophisticated You know, highly, you know, advanced reader, and um, which, you know, I love reading, you know, more than just about anything. But, but I did have this, this, this passion for children's literature, and so to be Gretchen, I decided I wanted to embrace it and really try to shine a spotlight on it, and. It's been amazing because I found because it turned out once I started asking around, there were a lot of people like this who loved these this books but didn't really think now nowadays now I feel like it's it's much more acceptable and discussed in adult Mm. culture, children's literature. But this was like ten years ago, and people really didn't do it. And so for a lot of people, it was like you know discovering that there was this whole like you had all these people who were like you that you had never known. I remember one one group in one group one woman came in, Amy. and she came in. She'd, we'd already been meeting for a couple of years when we found her and brought her in. <laughs> and at the end of the meeting, she stood up. She lifted both of her arms high in the air. And she's like, at last I have found you, my people. <laughs> and, um, and uh, you know, it was just um, and so it's just one of these things where you find out that like something that you thought was sort of weird and quirky and extremely eccentric about you, that there's all these people who are like you and like all they want to do is sit around and talk about like the later Anne of Green Gables books and like what what's up with that or you know like where do you stand on the great Twilight debate and the, you know what's the latest newest hottest book that everybody's talking about
0: and is it as good as people say and Gretchen you have three groups well, I'm dying to hear what are the different energies of these groups. Mm. Well, the the first group
1: is the biggest group, it's the longest lasting group, and um, it's probably the people that I've known the longest, because these were the first people that I identified. And that's a lot of kind of tr- very traditional book bookish people. Um, though not, everybody is like a lot of people are publishers, editors, agents, or, or, or writers, but then some people aren't, you know, some people have completely different kinds of jobs. Um, then kidlet two, we call them kidlet one, Kidlit two, Kidlit three. And I keep saying to the groups, we've got to come up with better system. Like, come on, all these creative people, like let's come mm-hmm. up with a better way of calling ourselves. Um, so if any listener has an idea, we have not been able to do that yet. Um, Kidlet 2 is like, has a high, like they're, they, they watch a lot of TV. They're into a lot of different things. Lots of like, uh, like idiosyncratic interests, mm. uh, like a lot of kind of critical in a good way, you know, like criticism kind of thing. Um, a l- lot of people listening to audiobooks mm-hmm. and and podcasts in that group, which is interesting. And then the, th- the Kidlet 3 is kind of more media-ish or kind of more Hollywood-ish, um, and, you know, very interested in like movie deals and like what's happening on TV. They're all, I mean, everybody talks about all that stuff somewhat. Um, it's kind of, uh, it's a little bit younger. Um, they, and they just, it's the personalities. Um, each of them, there's so many cool people, you know, and they're like, we share this crazy passion. So um, sometime when I'm yeah. in New
0: York, I want to sit in on one of your groups. Oh, absolutely. You would love that. I would yes. love it.
1: You have an open invitation. Thank you. And that's it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Enjoy your home's special features. Let us know if you tried it and if it worked for you.
0: Special thanks to our amazing guest, Ariana Huffington. It was great to talk to her about her new book, The Sleep Revolution. Also, thanks to our producer, Henry Malofsky. And thanks to Andy Bowers and Laura Mayer of Panoply. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin. And I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at gretchenrubin.com.
1: If you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes. And remember, if you want one of your tendency mugs for yourself or for a friend, uh, you can get one on my site. Go to gretchenrubin.com and look for the shop button on the top navigation bar and you will see it listed there.
0: Until next week, I am an obliger, Elizabeth Kraft.
1: (laughs) And I'm a holder, Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and Upward.
0: If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place?
1: Well... Now it is on homes.com. They've got everything you need to know about the listing itself, but even better. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools. And their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. Homes.com collaboration tools make it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework.